0: Hey you, thanks for tapping into another episode of Untap Keg Podcast, where we explore different perspectives of sobriety and mental health, so that you can take something and implement it into your own life, where we believe there's only one right way to sobriety. That's the way that works for you. I'm RJ Zimmerman, and today I'm extremely excited to have Jessica Bencomo, aka Snaps, from twitch.tv and a meditation teacher and also content creator around mental health. How are you doing today, Jessica? Thanks for joining I'm us. I'm
1: doing well. Thank you for having me.
0: This is um this is really great because you and I we had a conversation to talk about uh our episode and then life life's. and it was such a wonderful conversation that I can't wait to have uh talk about this with you. So, for those who Um, Our first being introduced to you. Could you give us a little bit of background into yourself?
1: Sure thing. So most people know me by Snaps at this point because I've been a content creator for eight years. Um, Started out streaming on Twitch in gaming, and uh, part of the reason for my name, which was Shesnaps, uh, is because I used to struggle a lot with anger, although at that time I probably wouldn't have uh, described it as a struggle. It was... (laughs) A little more uh, of a, a treat maybe, a little pleasure, just this kind of excitement of like, yeah, I'm an angry person, who cares? And it was very much encouraged by the community at that time. So it was kind of like a novelty. People would be hanging out in streams while I was gaming and I did a lot more like competitive FPS stuff at that time. And if I snapped on someone, then there would be, you know, cheers and excitement over me getting really aggro. Um, And I would never, I would never consider myself to be a person who would like go out of my way to be unkind to someone. But I was just kind of always simmering with rage to the point where I was kind of hoping someone would come in and try me. And then those were the moments that my community would get very excited for is someone coming in and trolling or saying something unkind. And then it was like being kids again, like,
0: ooh. (laughs) So it
1: was. It was like just it was just goofy it was silly i had a lot of fun but it was also not really healthy i don't think that i was uh i couldn't really say that i was running a non-toxic community at that point point. and then i met my partner my now partner through the community through gaming we actually met through the game destiny which is what brought me to twitch in the first place yeah. and i know right I still think it's such a trip when I get to tell people that, like, Destiny is what brought me to Twitch. Destiny is what introduced me to my partner. Destiny is where the majority of my close friends are from now. Like, I would not be in this relationship. I wouldn't have a baby. I wouldn't be living in Arizona. Like, all the things that have changed in my life came from Destiny.
0: Now that you put it that way, because I was talking about the game, and now it's like, oh, my God.
1: That's what I'm saying, right?
0: I probably had had so much time I put into the first Destiny, like... It was
1: magical time. Yeah. So yeah, destiny, however you want to take (laughs) that, brought me into this wonderful relationship with my partner, Alex, and he introduced me to meditation really early on in our relationship when I was still like, you know, dealing with a lot of anger and I had struggled with severe depression, anxiety, panic attacks, um, social anxiety. Like I just I could barely sleep at night. I'd had insomnia since I was a kid. Um, I had struggled when I was younger with ideation. I did attempt when I was 15 or 16. And then after that, I had committed to not causing any more harm to myself. But I still didn't want to be here. So I pretty much was like praying for a bus to hit me every day. And then I met him. He introduced me to meditation. And it was just this kind of slow, shocking shift. Of awareness of recognizing the reality of my suffering of recognizing the truth of the anger that I was working with and totally unintentionally my content shifted from being the like angry gamer to being someone who had a heavy emphasis on mental health discussions on things that can help others to feel better after I got to a point where I could tell people like yo I'm actually not depressed anymore I genuinely never thought I would see that day, like I don't have panic attacks anymore, I can sleep at night, I feel happy, what the fuck, and I told people (laughs) about it because it was so shocking, and I got so many people saying like what, how, why, and that's when I wrote up um, the five steps to better mental health, uh, created SHADES as an acronym for self care, started talking at gaming events, and at, um, I did a... Talk at a, um, an adult product, protective services conference, like talking to social workers and therapists and police officers about self-care. I was supposed to do the keynote the following year and then COVID hit. But yeah, it was kind of this like wild transformation that I'm really grateful happened live. Like I was streaming every day. So people were coming in and being absolutely shocked when someone would come in and say something mean to me. And I would just be like, hey, are you okay, dude? Like, what's going on with you that makes you think that's an okay thing to talk to or to say to someone? So the lack of, like, angry rage-out moments in games, the conversations around mental health and everything, it just became this really beautiful kind of community transformation. A lot of other people started to try out meditation and mindful practices, started to prioritize their mental health. And then the culture, like our shift in the community, went from everybody make fun of the person who came in to talk shit to like everyone being so deeply rooted in compassion that when someone comes in and says something cruel and I'm saying like people have said the absolute most unimaginably cruel things to me especially after some deaths in my family and even then people see it and their hearts just break like oh my gosh and then that person will come in say this awful thing and be hit with so many messages from people like, Hey, I used to feel similarly hit me up. If you want to talk, Hey, I'm sorry for whatever's going on. If you apologize, you can stick around and we can talk about it. And, uh, yeah, so it's been kind of a fascinating transformation. And now I'm enrolled in a two year meditation teacher training program, so that I can really, uh, hone my skills a little bit better and help provide more support and resources to people.
0: That is, um, That is amazing, right? To go from, and I'm not going to lie, you know, destiny, I can see how that takes you to another level, but also going from that person with that simmering anger that is underneath like that Hulk line, Mm -hmm. that's the key. I'm always angry. Like the reason that resonates with everybody is because that's the truth. That's how so many of us feel. And so going from snapping, like, you know, at the snap of the fingers, to having almost like poetry and yeah, all right, right? Like, <laughs> that's kind of what I envision. I
1: literally do that to people now too, when they're in my chat or like hanging out and they're speaking some truth. I'm like, yes, let's
0: give me go. some more. <laughs> it's, um, it's wild. And as somebody who has had similar, a similar journey, different. Right. But similar from Mm -hmm. having that quick anger, having always having it and not being seen as um, somebody who's I mean, and, you know, when I was younger, I was seen as somebody who had a temper problem. But there was a time where people looked at me and didn't think that I did. But, oh, I absolutely did. And now being where I am, people coming in being like, hey, why do you feel like you telling me that I'm sober is making you? feel terrible Mm. what's going on do you want to talk about why that's making you feel so bad and then you see those people kind of like shrink away rather than embrace it but it's the truth that that's where that comes from so Mm. as you're following this meditation and you're watching like your community and all of this change in your life was there a moment where things just kind of aligned and you're like this way of life is is what I've been looking for or was it so gradual that now you look back at it and you're like wow that's been a heck of a transformation
1: Mm, that's a cool question I would say at first it was gradual like there were these really nice moments where I'd be like whoa I was feeling very angry and what I'd started doing is uh practicing gratitude in the midst of moments of anger. So I would be, you know, in my kitchen pissed about something dumb and I would be like, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: (sighs) and I would count out on on one hand five things I was grateful for. And kind of unintentionally, symbolically, it was like as soon as the fist was unclenched and I had my hand open, I was feeling a lot calmer already. So just, I think, like the initial shift of you are not your thoughts, coming into a position of witnessing your thoughts and witnessing what's going on in your body, that was already massive but gradual because you really build up so much awareness moment by moment by moment by moment that you're just in this kind of state of like open learning all the time. Like, oh, how fascinating. All they said is this word and my back tensed up like crazy over that. Whoa. So initially, I think it was very gradual but very eye-opening like I had a moment where I fully committed like I'm so sick and tired of being sick and tired and angry I will not do this anymore um, <clears throat> and there was like a very specific moment that I've talked about before where that really hit for me because I was in an abusive relationship for nearly nine years and I was in that relationship when I started on twitch Um Fortunately, the kindness of the community kind of helped me see that the way that I was being treated and spoken to wasn't okay. And after leaving that relationship and then my partner moving in with me when we got together, there was a morning where I was in the bathroom getting ready for stream and like I would wake up pissed off over who fucking knows what, but I would wake up angry, agitated and I'd be in there, you know, slamming drawers and closing cabinets aggressively And I remember my partner waking up and walking past the bathroom door to head to his office. And I just caught this look out of the corner of his eyes where it was kind of like, do I say hi? Do I just keep going? And I'm grateful that I had never like pointed my anger at him. It was all like self-contained or like kind of contained to a small vicinity. But it was that look that just fucked me up because I saw myself. I saw all the moments with every other abusive relationship with my dad, with like all of the times in my life where I was like, are you gonna be nice to me today? Are you gonna be mean to me? Do I need to avoid you? The idea of putting another person through that walking on eggshells kind of life just could not do it, could not. So that was when I made that like, I will do whatever it takes to figure this shit out. And then it was gradual until psychedelics got introduced. And that like, I want to add this disclaimer here, I'm not an advocate for like everyone trying psychedelics. I think that they are an incredible tool and they're also very dangerous. If you don't know what you're doing, if you don't have the right mindset going in, if you don't have the right settings, if you don't have safe access, if you are a person who has psychosis or history of psychosis in your family for some folks with bipolar, like there's a long list of reasons why it's not right for everyone. Um, But I did probably a year or two of research before a friend of ours actually offered to grow some for us to try. And it was just such a shocking experience to go into a psychedelic experience mindfully, very intentionally doing it sort of like the therapeutic approach, putting a mask over my eyes, putting headphones on and spending a lot more time internal rather than kind of just, like, walking around poking all the squishy stuff. And it was during some of those early psychedelic experiences that I had some just, like, just perspective shifts that you kind of can't come back from. Like, in one of my psychedelic experiences, I lived my ex-boyfriend's entire life from, like, birth to death in probably 20 minutes. And in that amount of time, whether all of it was real or not, like the stuff I knew was probably accurate, but a lot of it was probably a mess. But in that amount of time, I came out of it with like, wow, I don't hold anything against him anymore. I don't feel any kind of like struggle to forgive or blame or shame. It was just like, if I had lived his life, I could have been him. Like all of the conditions that came together to create this angry person who was so controlling and judgmental and critical that could have fucking been me so that was like whoo, holy crap I got to let a lot go there and then I had an experience of like full-on ego dissolution ego death whatever someone wants to call it and that was where it kind of like severed the final attachment between myself and this idea that I was a depressed person I was a person with depression rather than the sort of like subtle shift of someone suffering from depression You know, it was no longer this is something that is mine, my anger, my anxiety, my depression. It was just very clear, like, oh, I just spent like three, four hours completely nothing, like not depressed, not myself even. If I can do that with drugs, then it can be done. Right. So that was kind of where it like really shifted for me into this, like, wow, things are way different than I thought they were. And things can be way different than I ever imagined. And it's just kind of progressed since then, especially with a lot of heavy emphasis on the practices
0: there there's a lot there, and that's <laughs> it's it's amazing like how what you've learned are things that I have also learned, and you know I just have different language for it and different things. but I literally talked with a friend of mine who is also a Recovery coach about psychedelics yesterday because it's one of those things that you kind of have to have an opinion on it in this space. Mm. And the thing is, is that I that's how I have the same opinion. It is unique, it is up to you, right? I am not a person who is against alcohol, against honestly, marijuana, these drugs. What I'm against is the escapism that gets to a point that it is a detriment to your life. And mm-hmm. as you look at the research and you you do things, you like the therapeutic approach that you had taken, there is a lot of research that is showing that responsibly doing it can lead to benefits. But like you said, if you're irresponsible with it, if you're just laissez-faire about it, if you just are shooting from the hip, there's a chance that it goes really wrong and having that understanding is a decision that you have to an individual decision do you think you can benefit from it or not and along with that what you said about that subtle shift of i am like the identifying with
1: mm-hmm.
0: your um what what the cuz i i just recorded a video on this yesterday <laughs> Uh, a short one that I'm going to post to social media. When you identify with your diagnosis, that's what I said, Mm. or this is for anything. And I've said this before, whether it's sobriety, whether it's being, you know, if you want to call yourself an alcoholic addiction, uh, same thing, ADHD, I have ADHD. I, if I use that as my identity, that is when it takes control of me. That is when things, are not going to get better because I'm going to make excuses so that I, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy that that is what it is. And this is where shame comes in, Mm -hmm. where it's very much the same, the language that you use. So if you look at your past and you use your past to define and identify you, that is who you're going to be going forward. So that's where we get stuck in our shame and the thought loops. And that's where I got stuck in my anger. That's where it sounds like you kind of got stuck in your anger and, I mean, it's, it's built up that ego death that you talked about. I can resonate with that too. Like all of this. And when you can take an outcome and an action that you did and separate yourself from it, your self-talk becomes more neutral. It becomes Mm -hmm. more, I can actually use this. I can be productive with it, but also I can see myself for how I want to identify myself. How do I want to define myself going forward? And you realize that you get to make the choice. Is the past going to define me? Is my diagnosis going to define me? Or am I going to use it to better understand myself so that I can choose how I define me going forward? Mm -hmm. And like, I am a bad person. So you have these memories that come back that are, this is why I'm a bad person. Or... I acted like a total asshole. Yeah. I do not want to act like that going forward, right? I did some shit that is should not be forgiven, right? That's okay that you have that. But that doesn't mean that you have to focus on it and punish yourself going forward. That means that you can do better going forward mm-hmm. and use it to make better decisions rather than use it to keep you stuck in a negative state all the time and that's where that escapist the addictions the the coping mechanisms that become a negative detriment on our life get stuck so a lot of what you said is a lot a lot of what i've also done Mm -hmm. and it's amazing it just when you hear mental health journeys and sobriety and addiction journeys and how parallel they are and just how much life is um it really is about finding what works for you so that you can move forward into your best self
1: yeah yeah i know i said a lot there
0: (laughs) When I I think you touched on
1: something that we had, like, I'm having flashbacks of walking in my garden during our conversation. I think we had talked about um, how, like, earlier on in my life and in my journey, like, I definitely had very unhealthy relationships with weed, with alcohol. Like, there was a time in my youth where I'm so grateful that certain drugs just were not around me because if they had been, no doubt. There was only one that I said was a no-no for me, and it was because of like uh, what had happened with my birth mom abandoning my brother's sister and I as kids because she had struggled with cocaine addiction. So like growing up, I had heard that from my family a bunch, so I was like, I'll never do cocaine. But anything else would have 100% been on the table, and I'm super fortunate that it just wasn't presented to me because, like, man, there was a time where people were just handing me random pills in the hallway at school and I'd be like, what is this? Don't care. Just pop it in. Like just so many examples of stuff that now like horrifies me to think about all the ways it could have gone wrong. So like earlier on in my streaming career, because social anxiety was still so strong because anxiety period was so strong. And because I had such a kind of a, like a bias towards, more anger, more tension, more depression. I would smoke a ton of weed. Like in order to get out of the house, I would usually smoke a joint or a bowl. I would do a dab or two, which if you're not familiar, that's concentrate, like really potent stuff. And then I would usually roll two to three joints for the trip. Like I remember going to the first Twitch Chicago meetup And I had like three joints in my wallet and I was just pacing the house, power smoking, everything in sight, just like (sighs) trying to get my shit together to go. And as I kind of progressed in this journey, it was just this natural awareness of like, huh, so it turns out I don't think I needed this. Or in moments where I would go to smoke or do something, I would say like, wait, why am I doing this? And that's where uh, the notion of escape versus enhance came in. And I think this is one of the things that we had talked about is that I set a rule for myself that if I'm about to indulge in anything, you know, if it was weed or alcohol or anything that could easily be a form of escapism, shopping, sex, going and streaming, even whatever, gaming, the stuff that I know I can like, really get into, I would always ask myself, Am I looking to escape something right now, escape my life, escape a certain feeling, or am I looking to enhance my life? So if the answer is escape, like I'm feeling some feelings I don't really want to be feeling, I would go and I would sit and I would meditate or go for a walk or do something. And if it was enhanced, like, no, actually I feel pretty good. I'm just looking to get froggy right now. I wanna get weird with it. Totally different thing. Then it was like, okay, indulge, have some fun. Still being mindful. Because, like, it could be indulged or, or enhanced up until that first anxious thought comes in. And now suddenly enhancing is back to escaping. So it's like a constant, like, awareness of what is the purpose behind this. So I've shared that with a lot of folks in the community of who I know struggle with other types of addiction. Are you looking to escape something right now? Because it's not going anywhere. Just because you've sort of numbed yourself to it does not mean it's gone your psyche does not forget. You have that foreboding feeling, that really ugh feeling behind that sort of elevated state. The crash is going to suck. It's going to fucking suck so bad. Go breathe. Go meditate. Do a breathing exercise. Do something that feels grounding to you. Anything that allows you to meet that moment and then choose where you go from there.
0: And now that you say that, I do remember talking about escape versus enhance. and. I I literally ask myself this often when I have a task to do and I'm looking at my phone. Okay, what am I distracting myself from right now? Is Mm. it the work that I'm doing? Is it feelings on the other side? Which is it? And what can I do to get myself back where I need to be? Sometimes it's do that task. Sometimes it's go for a 10 to 20 minute walk.
1: Mm-hmm. Sometimes
0: it's changed my location, like, yeah, I'll be at home, okay, I just need to go to a coffee shop and I need to be around people because body doubling is a thing with a d h d so that's where taking it as an understanding of yourself, it enhances your life to use exactly what you're talking about compared to using it as an excuse, oh, I'm distractible because I have a d h d so I'm just mm-hmm. not gonna do it instead of. I know that if I'm around people, coffee shop, library, areas where people are gonna be around, it's not distracting to me. It actually is soothing. So when people are around and they're doing their own thing, it allows me to feel like I can do my own thing.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That like I also have ADHD and sometimes that collective chaotic energy that you don't have to pay attention to is just so like, yes. You all live around me and I will do my thing now.
0: So ADHD moment, I just want to, do you, do you notice when you go for walks, like people tell me all the time, walk listening to nature, right? Just don't have anything in your, I put my noise canceling headphones in and I cancel out the noise and Mm. it enhances my walks because, and I don't know what it is. It might just be a me thing, but I'm curious if it's something that might be, I'm taking away a stimulus. And so it's allowing me to focus with my other senses. And so that allows me to be a little bit more present. um, What is that the the goal
1: for you is like presence in the moment? Is that how you're defining like a successful walk in this instance?
0: Well, that is a great question. And that answers a lot because in those instances, generally, it's allowing my thoughts it's like a meditative, mindful, allowing my thoughts to pass, right? Mm. Rather than get into cycles. And so when I put those noise canceling headphones in and I just am zoned out and I can just, it allows me to appreciate and be in the now and the present. And it allows my thoughts to really progress through rather than getting stopped. Like I've worked through a lot of, honestly, a lot, a lot of a lot of trauma, a lot of uh, triggers, a lot of different, really difficult moments this way. Mm. And it's actually led me to some creative moments as well, where I've had some, you know, going from how do I define myself as a coach? Oh, self-discovery after alcohol. Well, and then like my course that I created with that and everything like that, like it came from those types of situations. And so I don't know, it was just interesting that I've noticed that especially mm-hmm. when people are like, no, you need to listen to nature and pay attention and it keeps you present. <laughs> but it does it doesn't for me, not necessarily. There's moments that I enjoy that, right? But for the most part, when I put those noise canceling in and I just, I don't hear much, it, it gives me that sense of, more of a sense of peace.
1: Hmm. It sounds like the main difference then is that What you're talking about is something almost more in line with like this notion of thinkitation where you're sort of keeping certain questions in mind, paying attention to mind states like this is what I want to think about on this walk. So it makes a lot of sense that you would want to be like, okay, let me just block out some of the things that might get me from like this question I'm working on. Like, what do I want my theme of this podcast to be? It might otherwise be like, oh, what kind of bird is that? That was a cool noise, right? Like you suddenly are gone. So if your goal for the walk is to work within your mind, release the stuff that is unnecessary and lean into the questions that are useful, into the ideas that are useful, then it makes perfect sense why you'd want the headphones. If the goal for the walk is just straight up presence, then leaving the headphones behind offers you an opportunity to see what your real experience is of a walk. And you can just kind of do the open awareness thing then of like hearing, hearing, seeing, feeling. You're feeling your feet walking and you're noticing how quickly your awareness bounces between like, oh, these pants are a little tight on my waist or like, oh, that was a beautiful bird. Oh, that cloud looks like, and it just keeps going. So that can be incredibly grounding in a a sort of a de-centering kind of way. You're just letting it all be there and letting yourself be a part of it. So, like, taking the headphones off to just be one with everything and let yourself notice it all, totally different from I want to go and walk and problem solve some stuff. I want to go and walk and kind of clear out a little bit of the clutter. So it just depends on, I guess, the goal of it. But I think there's room for all of it. And, yeah, any ability to kind of limit the sensory input, especially with ADHD minds, is going to be huge.
0: That I am so glad that I took that side path because wow. And I guess, you know, one thing that we wanted to talk about was grief and processing grief and working through a lot of stuff. And that is actually how I found that this works for me is processing the grief from my divorce and Mm -hmm. how that helped me to like work through what I really wanted to do is I wanted to dissect the relationship. Where was the failure? Like I accept my responsibility, right? Mm -hmm. What, what can I control going forward? What can I let go and look at and really understand myself and how I act and behave and how I can change going forward. So, and then that's allowed me to really process triggers and work through, um, some really difficult, really difficult moments. So with mindfulness and meditation and, um, you know, they're often linked, but they're two different things. Mm-hmm. With grief, what have you found to really be able to um, bring you back to now in the center and allow you to process those emotions and feelings?
1: Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I think that this is a a cool segue into it because you mentioning that sometimes you need to block things out in order to see it. That's like, it points to this aversion that we all have, which is to pain. We, Mm -hmm. we have been so conditioned to believe that pain equals bad, that discomfort equals bad, that if you feel bad, it means you are bad or that something is wrong. And Learning how to work with and kind of identify that aversion and see the things that help the aversion Can be really useful because you can see like oh I don't want to feel this pain and that's actually a common question that we ask in like meditation practices as a part of the training I'm doing is what am I unwilling to feel right now and once you kind of get to the core of it of like what is it that is kind of calling for my attention you can start to see, oh, these are all the things that are making it to where I don't pay attention to that. Like for me, I am very easily activated by my home being cluttered. It, it fucks with my brain. I feel a lot more tense. I feel a lot yes. more like I just have to do this. So if I'm hurting, if I'm having a day where grief is coming up, kind of bubbling up from the surface and I'm feeling that, as soon as that first bit of discomfort, that first kind of pain point hits, I am going to clean the fuck out of my space. That's where I'm going. I'm going to go clean the kitchen. My brain will tell me the surface level response is you just feel bad because your kitchen's a mess. Once you get that clean, everything will be fine. So if I go outside and instead of doing the like cleaning my home thing, if I go sit and I just close my eyes and meditate for a while, then I can start to see the kind of layers peel back. And what I tend to find in those moments is like, oh, that's, there it is. That's the point of vulnerability. That's the pain point that I was missing. So like in the moment, grief or sadness or anything arising naturally is an invitation to explore it for me. And that typically is done through first recognizing it, oh, grief, sadness, naming it. And this also kind of aligns with this really great practice called the RAIN method. I don't know if you're yeah. familiar with that. Yeah, so recognize, allow, investigate, nurture. Used to be non attachment. The more common one now is nurture, but I kind of like them both. So I'll sit and name it gently to myself what it is I'm seeing. And then there's the process of kind of allowing or opening to it. That's where, depending on how much time I have, I like if I know I've got the time to process it then I can not only say it's okay that I'm feeling this as a part of the allowing, but I can also really open and say get as big as you need to get, like feel it. I, sometimes it helps to assume a posture or a facial expression that really embodies that grief or that sadness or anger or frustration or whatever. Other times if I know I don't really have the time, then I kind of have to skip that, knowing it's something I'm going to have to prioritize in the future. I can't just keep accepting and kind of pushing past. So I'll go outside, recognize, I'll allow it, investigate it in my body. I typically start with the somatic experiences um, with regular emphasis of like, how how do things feel in my throat, chest, and belly? Those Mm -hmm. are usually really common areas of holding. Then I'll ask myself, what am I believing right now? What's the story that's going on right now? That's part of the investigation of like, what are the narratives and how do I feel? And then from there, I get a little more insight into the way my specific brand of suffering in that moment is kind of playing out, and I can offer myself some care and some nurturing. That's the part that I think the majority of people that I talk to skip. People are okay with allowing and acknowledging their own suffering, but as soon as you tell them, like, hey, be nice to yourself, that's where they're like, Listen, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what
0: the fuck do you mean, be nice to myself? Exactly,
1: no way. <laughs> exactly. But I did this to myself. What do you but think I I'm a wuss? It. Yeah. <laughs> Any of those like ridiculous ways it can go. So it can be just as simple as like putting a hand on my heart, taking some deep breaths, stretching my body to help release the tension, anything that I can do to offer myself genuine compassion. Once grief gets to a point where it is coloring more of the moments of my days where I'm seeing that those little moments of like checking in and doing it it's not enough like I I need to sit and I need to cry this shit out really hard I started to institute a grief day and part of it is because I used to do psychedelics as a way to help you know to be like okay this is the thing I've been working on it for a while now I'm going to go and spend six hours like kind of opening to whatever whatever comes in but I was either pregnant or nursing and wasn't able to do psychedelics anymore. Cause obviously I'm not trying to make my baby trip balls. So I would <laughs> skip that. So I decided that I would set aside the same amount of time that I would give myself six hours because that's what typically for like psychedelics for, Well, not for all of them for psilocybin, it would be about a six hour trip. So my partner took our baby out of the house and I told myself this six hours is my grief window. It was just a full invitation to focus on that grief in a very mindfully intentional way. Like this is the emphasis of my work today. Anything else is secondary. I don't need to clean. I don't need to problem solve. There is nothing else that is more important than me kind of giving attention and giving voice to this grief. I actually recorded some videos of it. I shared them with Stream somewhat recently because we were talking about this. But I basically told myself as soon as they left the house, I was going to kind of jump right into it. And I started off by looking at pictures and videos and just like really immersing myself in like text messages and things from the people who I've lost. And then cried a bunch from that. And uh, after doing a good amount of that and kind of sitting and meditating and thinking about them, I sat and wrote in my journal letters to each of the kind of primary folks who I was really missing. And that part was especially important to me. And it's what I include in grief days since, is the deliberate focus on each individual person. Because a lot of times the grief is this sort of amalgamation. It's just this mess of all of the people I've lost. And it's, it's a lot. And uh, the most recent losses in my life were my brother and my niece who died on the same day. And that was really hard because my niece was younger, my brother was a year older than I. My niece wasn't was almost 9. So it became this like pain point of I don't feel like I have enough time to notice the grief I have for her because I didn't live an entire life with her. You know, she wasn't there for like all of these major moments. So then the grief would turn into guilt of like, I don't, I don't grieve her enough. So when I sat and I wrote out these, these letters to each of them, that's when it like, whoo, oh, that hurt. Like I was hearing noises coming out of myself. I've never heard. I wailed and sobbed and like really, really felt it. And after I was done, after I kind of finished the last journal or the last letter to them and I closed my journal And I just sat there staring out the window. I saw that I was like coming to the end of my window that I had set for this, and I was like, okay. I went into the bathroom and blew my nose, because I was just a freaking mess. And I came back out and I felt like I was tripping. It was wild. I was looking out the window and being like, the colors are so vivid. I can feel my body and the deepest, the most pervasive, the most kind of all-consuming, enveloping feeling that I felt was love. I felt so deeply connected to them again because I got to really pay attention to them and to remember that it wouldn't hurt so fucking bad if I didn't love them so much. So that was one of those like, holy shit, this is This is huge. I will do this again every chance I get, every time I need to, because grief really is so big and it deserves more than this passing attention. Like it's if we're only meeting ourselves at the surface level of the grief, we're only kind of putting Band-Aids on the wound. And what we really need is to like let it be open, let ourselves feel the severity of it. And this is going to vary on based on, like, person to person and your ability to feel safe in situations like this. You might want to have someone at home with you. You might want to do this in the presence of, like, a therapist or a mental health professional or something. But for me, I felt safe in the getting back up off the ground thing because I had had other moments where I really surrendered to my feelings and saw that they pass. That as much as I fear not being able to get back up again if I really touch that grief, it was surprisingly animating for me it brought a lot of life back into my existence a lot of gratitude so yeah it's been um it's been a while i think it's been a year since i had my last grief day and i even told my partner recently like i think it's coming again i think i'm gonna need another day because these like moments of processing it i'm starting to feel like it's not quite enough again
0: That's um, that's amazing self awareness and the creativity that you have to create that right create that space for yourself and I like how you went in depth too with uh, talking about rain and there's you know other other uh, acronyms for feeling your feelings and getting through it but it's our aversion to pain and fear and the unknown and, you know, having that, how often do we choose to continue our own suffering because it's a known compared to moving into the discomfort of the unknown Mm -hmm. and you can actually be thriving and living a life that you're proud of. And, um, you mentioned the somatic experience and for those who don't know, you know, that is where your emotions and feelings are manifesting in your body and there's heat maps. This is, this is science that it does. So if you take a moment and you notice where your shoulders are, this is a really good one, especially for men, notice where your shoulders are, just let them drop to the sides and especially feel tension and then stretch your back a little bit and notice how your mood shifts. And, oh, like that is, that is somatic. That is what people mean when they talk about the somatic experience and the stories that we can talk ourselves and keep ourselves in. And if you can notice that you're telling yourself a story and like you said, um, being able to realize that, and I like to say, differentiate between the story and the truth, you know, Mm -hmm. the opinions and the facts, and then you can really sort through Um, but it's, it's so human to externalize, um, feeling good, right? Like you said, with the cleaning and how much this goes to goals, this goes to when you don't like yourself, right? You have that aversion for yourself. And if I get that job. If I make this amount of money, if mm. I buy that house, I'm going to finally feel good. This, Those are all me. Those are all things that I told myself. It was not those moments when I felt good, right? It It took a divorce. It took taking a 50% pay cut for a job that I didn't like. It took a lot of things that you would look at and say, how can you actually feel good about yourself right now? And the truth was, I was finally honest with myself and facing Mm -hmm. the truths instead of the stories. And there's so much that you can work through. I, before I started, you know, this really self-discovery journey and really got on it. And I would say that's about two years ago. I cried five ish times uh, from the time I was probably 12, actually probably before that five ish times, and I can count them on my hand. Mm. And since that two years, I have cried at least, at least monthly. But there, was, there were moments, it was daily. There were moments, it was weekly. And not just cried, but sobbed. Left work and went out to my truck to sob for 20 minutes. And then coming back in and realizing that release of that energy mm. is exactly what you need to reset rather than hold it in and just tightening that spring and getting all that tension. Eventually it just explodes and it's never in moments that you want it to. It's never on the people that it should be. It's always on the people that you love and care about. And man, so you talked about journaling too. And I was not a person who was ever going to journal. I used to, my friend and maybe, you know, um, Up for the Challenge, who uh, was a mental health streamer, he slows podcast in the UK. And he would tell me, you need to have two journals, RJ, you need to have two journals. I'm like, no, I'm not fucking journaling. Quit talking to me about journaling. It's a waste of fucking time. I was in so much agony and grief over being separated um, from the person that I chose as my family, from the love of my life and... I was having a panic attack for the first time in my life. And I just, fuck it, grabbed a notebook, grabbed a pen, had no idea what was coming. And I whatever was on my my hand was going to write, it was going to write. I ended up writing poetry. And I don't write poetry. I don't really (laughs) read poetry. I don't. And I wrote short stories that I look at now and I'm like, where i where did this come from like this inner this inner understanding and when you can find that outlet that allows you to understand that you're human and that you can feel these without the guilt without that shame it changes like you said the way that you look at the world
1: yeah <clears throat> yeah, we're, man, journaling is, is so, so huge. And there was a time where I was also very uh, averse. Like I had grown up journaling and I didn't have a lot of safety in it. Like I would have these teeny diaries with little locks on them and my siblings would just yoink the locks off and stuff. So like as I became a young adult, like in my early 20s, I was journaling again and I was feeling like this is such a safe place for me to do this. And then that ex-boyfriend that I had mentioned read my journal one day while I was gone. And this was not long after my older sister had died and we were living together at the time. So I was like already in a fucking rough spot. And then he reads my journal. I come home to see that he not only read it, but destroyed it because he was so mad about stuff that he read in there about previous relationships, like stuff that did not involve him at all. And after that, and especially because of how, like, incredibly uh, surveilled I was in that relationship, like, I had no privacy, no privacy at all. I felt so unsafe when it came to writing in a journal after that, that it actually took a lot of time and effort for me. Like, even today, I still find myself writing with that kind of thought of, like, what if someone reads this? And I'll write that down, too. Like, now I'm worried that someone might read this. And uh, it was something I had to kind of, like, surrender into, like, well, I know this is valuable, so if someone is going to fucking read my journal again and shame me for it, I guess I don't care, because I can't imagine thinking that way at this point in my life, like, seeing someone's most vulnerable thoughts and saying, like, oh, this means this about them. So it's like, well, we're obviously seeing things so different. Like we're completely different perspectives here. I don't really need to worry about someone who would do that. Like they're all, they're living in a different reality from me. So yeah. that's fine. Like that's their shit, not mine.
0: And when you're living your life authentically, all of a sudden, cause I have those same thoughts. What if somebody reads my journal? What if my ex-wife reads my journal and I just realize, okay. And mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. That shows me the people that should be in my life and shouldn't. And now that I'm living authentically, like these aren't secrets. I'm not keeping these from people. This is just me putting this on the page to, and really what it is. And for for myself, and this is something to know about yourself too, is prompts, questions, you know, do those work for you? Do they not? And I actually now have two journals. Yeah, shouting out Adam up for the challenge again. Because, yeah, and uh, one of them has prompts. One of them does not. And one is for, like, how my day was yesterday. Like, big energy hang-ups that I have. And by, Mm. you know, energy hang-ups, I mean, like, things that my mind gets stuck on or that has me worried, anxious, sad, a lot of different things. And for me, this is still something I'm working on. It very rarely is happy things. (laughs) very rarely is good things very rarely is things that i should be proud of stuff like that sometimes it is but um i just write that down and figuring that out how that can work for you is such a big that that goes for everything like taking something and making it work for you that includes words changing mm-hmm. the meaning of words that people use a lot so that it relates to you through metaphors analogies pictures that you see in your mind however you can make it work for you is perfect and don't worry how people are going to judge you because it's working for you
1: mm-hmm. yeah you're the only one who has to live your life so if other people have thoughts on it that's kind of their shit yeah like it's that whole don't don't accept criticism from those you wouldn't go to advice go to for advice like most of these people who may criticize any of the things we're doing are probably not ones we'd be hitting up for feedback anyway Uh, when it comes to journaling a lot of people find themselves in the same situation where they realize that everything they're writing is negative and depending on how they work with it sometimes it becomes a detrimental thing so I think like the prompts are super useful and i think an extra practice can be brought in there like if you are a person listening to this and you tend to journal out these like conscious streams of thoughts and it's just like fuck this fuck this fuck this kind of energy or here's where things were really hard or this is this is really upsetting for these reasons you can always go back and examine that in terms of like looking for integrations so the second page of your journal after this big stream of just shit coming out of your head can be what do i want to learn from this how do i apply some of this stuff to making sure that tomorrow is more supportive for me if i see that being around these people makes me feel like shit, do i need to have a conversation with some friends right now or do i need to maybe start choosing some different relationships and like you know all of this sounds very uh simplistic and and surface here the way we're talking about it obviously like the idea of shifting relationships is a big deal and not to be taken lightly, but that is the reality is sometimes we need to view these pages of shit coming out of our minds so that we can say, what do I want to do about it? Because if every day you write in your journal, all the things that suck, what is that doing for you other than offering you a place to purge, which is absolutely valid and necessary. But if you're not looking to kind of just be in that same position a year from now, if there is some kind of interest in integration or self-growth or self-actualization or any of those things or joyful living maybe then there's a next step that needs to be taken of how do you and this is something that in my uh, classes right now they're referring to gladdening the mind now that you have seen the state of things and you have addressed them we're not averse we're not trying to deny their reality once you put that plan into motion of how you're going to integrate now you can begin the process of shifting away from this negative bias that we know we have and deliberately bringing in and cultivating feelings of equanimity or of joy or of gratitude or sympathetic joy sometimes that's more accessible to people because the idea of feeling joyful ourselves can feel wrong which like fucking sucks any of you who struggle feeling like it's okay for you to feel joy. I'm so sorry that you are feeling that way. You do absolutely deserve to feel joy, even if you have behaved atrociously in the past. So if it's more accessible to you, then think about people you really love and care about and imagine them having moments of joy. Or, you know, think about the last time that you saw someone you really care about grinning from ear to ear. Tap into the warm, fuzzy feelings that come from that sympathetic joy. Whatever it takes for you to kind of begin that deliberate process of shifting from letting the negative bias be the dominant force in your mind and using that incredible power you have as the conscious entity kind of floating around and utilizing the brain and body to shift it, shift it towards something that's more wholesome, shift it towards something that allows you to feel a little lighter in your body.
0: Mm. And I'm so glad that you touched on that because you literally told me why it's not a hangup for me to write about the negative things. Because in my writing out uh, down what these you know energy snags are that I have, I'm talking about how I'm shifting and the lessons that I know and I learned and implementing it into my life. And like I'm intentional about the way that I live my life now, yeah, um, in a way that I wasn't before and. I just heard a quote earlier in the week, too, that was the person who has to live with your choices are you. So why are you allowing other people to make choices for you that they don't have to live with? Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn. All right. And it was pretty early in the morning. It's like that is that is true. And that is fact. Mm -hmm. And that's something to think about when you are listening to people and they're telling you these things and they're saying that I'm right. You need to do it this way. Do they have the same context that comes from living your life or do they have completely different context? And the truth is they have completely different context. Mm-hmm. It worked for them. There's a reason I say the only right way to sobriety is the way that works for you. Mm-hmm. That's because the way that I stopped drinking is not a way that works for a lot of people. I'm a stubborn asshole. And it fucking helped in that situation. (laughs) And that's how, that doesn't work for a ton of people. That's okay. That's something that I've come to terms with. And um, it's, it's so interesting how the way that you describe a lot of taking the world and validating your feelings and emotions and then how can you find something that lifts you up but not focusing on that everything is great everything's Mm -hmm. positive you got to find the positive in everything like that is also not a good outlook on life because it's not real Mm -hmm. and as somebody who has learned that my opinion about myself has zero credibility So I need to legitimately ask people to offer their opinion about me so that I can find an opinion that has credibility. Mm -hmm. And it's something I'm still working through. And I just want to let people know that if you are in that place, it is possible to get to a place where you can feel pride in yourself. You can get to a place where you feel peaceful and content. And really, when people talk about happiness, that's generally what they're talking about is peace, contentment, serenity. It's not excitement and joy that's constantly there, right? Mm-hmm. And it is a place of gratitude. And it is a place of living from love first and not fear first. Mm. And those shifts can happen in so many different ways. Um one way that I was able to shift it was through neutral self-talk because I, I learned, I hated myself. I deep self-loathing and I learned it through my kids because I held it against them that they love their daddy. Mm. And because I'd been working on myself and being more aware of the self-talk, I caught that very quiet, low voice that had been there my whole life. And I didn't realize it, that I was holding it against my kids and other people that they love me where where mm. did that come from oh i hate myself well i wasn't going to be able to look in the mirror and say oh hey look at look at everything you've done in your life like, you're just so amazing i love you like <laughs> i still don't do that i still don't do that but what i can do is i can look in the mirror and shrug and say you're okay
1: mm.
0: you're okay and just take things from a place of when i hear that critic when i hear the asshole get really loud and tell me why I suck and why I can't do something and why I should just stop. I should just give up. I should just not talk and stay small. I can hear that and say, okay, what are you saying in this moment? Mm -hmm. What are you trying to protect me from? What is the truth in that scared? What am I scared of? The unknown, you know, anxiety what if I get this wrong what if I don't know what I'm doing guess what nobody knows what they're doing and so being able to work through that and actually like have an inner coach and just be more of a friend to yourself you don't have to get to this place of I love myself you can get to a place of I'm okay with myself that's so much further above where you were that it feels like you almost like you love yourself, but it's attainable. It's very attainable. And I just wanted to point that out.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's really important, too, because like in my community, we talk often about making sure we're not doing the whole like, let's just put a spin on it. You know, we're not going to play the spiritual bypassing game. We're not going to play the like Positivity over everything. Don't let your vibes be low. These feelings are Good low vibrations. Only. Like, yeah, we're not <laughs> going to play that. So, we talk about realistic positivity, which is acknowledging sometimes shit sucks and also acknowledging you can get through it. I read a book uh, called It Takes What It Takes years ago by Trevor Moad, and he was talking about self talk in there, and he essentially said the same thing. Like, if you're going in reverse, you can't just jam it into going forward now, you've got to first hit neutral. And that's where I think the majority of us really God. do need to start is to hit that neutral line of thinking. And this is another reason why journaling, whether you do it by pen and paper or like online or you, you know, or you actually like speak it out into like a voice thing. One of the things I've seen a lot is uh, from like really prominent writers is they would essentially express the same sentiment, which is, I write to figure out what I know. Our brains are only capable of holding so many things at once. And if you are trying to gain a deeper form of self-understanding, it's almost a necessity to write it out so that you can see it much more clearly because our our thoughts are just whirring by, they're just going so fucking fast that if you're sitting there trying to work through the language and get yourself to a more neutral standpoint, it can feel overwhelming. So it might be useful to just write down, okay, what are the top 10 tunes right now from my brain? What are some of the leading themes of the narratives coming out of my mind? And once you've written them down, a lot of times you see them and you're like, ha, that's goofy as shit. Are you kidding me? And other times you see them and it's like, oh, Owie, that one hurts. I just found out that I hate myself. That fucking sucks. (laughs) Okay, so now that I have these things written down, how do I want to speak to myself? What language can I offer in response to these things? And then to go a step further again, understanding our negative bias, understanding our conditioning. And this is also a distinction that I wanted to make. Like we speak about how like I think these things, your brain thinks thoughts. It presents them to you after the thought has originated in your mind. We take ownership of our thoughts as though like, you know, oh, I just had this great idea. No, your brain was probably working on that for a fucking year while your conscious awareness was bouncing between all of these different things you consume every day, all of these different thoughts. And then suddenly it presented this kind of final formulation to your conscious awareness and then you got the little tickle of, oh, I did it and that's the same for all the shitty thoughts that's the same for all of these unkind belief systems they are originating out of a brain out of a mind that has been taught to think a certain way to view things a certain way to exist a certain way so being able to kind of create that additional separation gives you a little bit more space to play with it like wow my brain thinks I should hate myself how interesting why Where do I think that came from? How do I want to address it? So then going into the proactive stuff, if you know these are the top ten tunes of a given day, the same types of really unkind, really demotivating, really unpleasant, unnecessary, cruel thoughts even, now you can make a list of some affirmations. You can make a list of some belief systems you want to start to build. And I think when people think of affirmations, a lot of times they think of them in that like, oh, I am a body of light and I am this beautiful rainbow being and it really like it can be that some days I'm feeling very, you know, kind of equanimous, very light, and I can speak to myself with this lovely flowery language. Other times it's a lot more direct. It's a lot more straightforward. I can do hard things. I am capable. Like I tell myself often that even if I were a base model human being and that's like in the moments where I'm doubting my own intelligence and stuff. Like, even a base model human is capable of outrageous things. So even if I don't have the intelligence levels I would like, even if I don't have the communication levels that I would like, even if, even if, I'm still capable of so fucking much just by being a human. Holy crap. So, like, having those lists of these are the common things my brain kind of shows me, and here's how I'm going to start to respond, gives you something you can do reactively, oh, here you are again, thought about being undeserving of joy. Let me introduce you to this other thought I have that says everyone deserves joy, even me. And then in advance, you can be kind of programming this shit into your brain. You can write it on your mirror. You can write it on your refrigerator. Because I know about habituation, I make sure to mix it up a bunch. So I'll have like, I'll realize I'm struggling with something and I'll tell Siri to remind me of it at some completely random date and time like hey on this day tell me you can do it or whatever you know any anything i am a person with good time management skills is something that i throw at myself a lot so you can start to <laughs> build in language that is supportive encouraging compassionate and build it in to every moment of your life so that it's a lot more present so that the the intake is a lot higher in terms of you know compassionate kind self talk compared to the stuff that's kind of already behind the scenes been running for years so mm. it's it's really fun to be able to use self talk proactively and reactively and i think like as one final kind of note on this i think people always think they have to go big that you have to address the like immediate like the self hate kind of stuff but you can use this as a way to show yourself that it's real by picking something fucking tiny. Like I proved to myself that the science behind affirmations is legit by using affirmations and visualizations to change my skincare routine years ago. Like I realized I was tired of my skin breaking out all the time, which now it's hormonal. So we're in a different land with that, but I just had shitty habits. I would finish stream at the end of the night. I would wipe my face with a makeup wipe and I would go to sleep and that was it. And I felt very envious of other people who had these wonderful routines. So I said, okay, I'm going to change this. I am a person with a good skincare routine. I take good care of my skin. I care for my skin well. Every variation you can think of that was present tense, positive language, I would. I wrote it on my mirror. I would say it randomly to my partner. I would have it as my phone alarm randomly. Like every chance I got, I kind of reintroduced that language to myself. And then every night, I forced myself to go and actually wash my face and put on moisturizer. And after about a month of me just like blasting my brain with the words, I'm a person with a good skincare routine. I take good care of my skin. I love how it feels to wash my face every night. I had the first moment where I was laying on the couch after stream, tired, hadn't worn makeup that day. So I was like, oh, I don't even need to. It's fine. And my brain lit up so hard and was like are you fucking kidding me right now you are a person who washes your face every night go to the fucking bathroom it's gonna take two minutes are you kidding me you know you're gonna feel better after and I literally sitting on the couch put my hands up in the air and I was like okay okay I am going and I was shook that it took about a month of this like kind of aggressive approach to it but it worked so if you're struggling with self-talk and you want to show yourself the power of your brain Pick anything. I'm a person who takes out the garbage every time it gets to the top. I am a person who always puts my shoes away. Pick something small and just reiterate it every chance you get proactively and reactively and watch what happens. It's really fucking cool.
0: It's it's amazing how those things, they get taken over, right, by social media by people and then all of a sudden it becomes these buzzwords and stuff but if you break it down and you actually look at it and you can see where it can be useful all of a sudden things become uh not like just the approachable and oh I don't have to be jaded going through my life I don't have to do these things that I don't necessarily want to do I just have to change my mindset around it and maybe talk to people and talk to myself as well. Like, you know, the, the amount that you can grow as a person is directly proportional to the amount of honesty you can have with yourself. Mm. And when you realize that and you can get vulnerable with yourself, because that's a lot of us don't want to be vulnerable with ourselves even surface level vulnerability, we tend to gloss over. Um, when you start to be vulnerable with yourself, it makes it easier to be vulnerable with other people Mm -hmm. because you realize that, well, I know this is true for me. So whatever they react with, that's them. Yep. Oh shit. Right. And you know what you're talking about? I I talk about self-care this way too. Like self-care is an incredible way to increase your self-worth and it's not splurging. It's not spend, even spending money on yourself. It's showing yourself that you are worth taking care of. So for me, brushing my teeth twice a day, similar to like the skincare routine. Like I have changed my skincare routine in the morning. I'm working on it at night, but like (laughs) all of this stuff is, that's self-care, right? Like showering in the morning, changing my morning routine so I feel better. All of this is self-care and all of this is building up your own self-worth and you're proving it to yourself. And All of a sudden that's raising everything up and it's like, oh shit. Okay. This is, I can, I can do it. And then you start to say, I can do hard things. I mm-hmm. look at some of the shit that I have done and mm-hmm. I am disciplined. I am consistent especially for someone with ADHD. And that's why I laughed when you said, I am uh, good at time management. It's like, Oh, I feel that one in my heart. Like, (laughs) (laughs) Oh shit. Especially when I run out of my medication, I need to call and get, uh, you know, some, that prescription refilled. Well, uh, yeah, it's been three days. Uh, I'll do it eventually (laughs) one Mm -hmm. day, but doing all of these and setting those reminders and, getting creative with how you can remind yourself and do it in a way that's not full of guilt and full of shame, yeah. because that is not going to keep you going.
1: Yeah, That
0: is not going to, and I, I talk about this with, um, you know, self-righteousness and having that chip on your shoulder. And like, I very quick to that. Fuck you. Watch me energy. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah that is a good launching energy that can get me going. But if I don't actually want to do it for me, I just want to do it to show somebody up. Then when I get to that thing, I'm not going to continue doing it. And so you can start by wanting to show somebody, you know, fuck you, watch me. But then it's actually, I'm enjoying this and I feel good doing this. Mm -hmm. I want to get better at this for me. And that, what that can do when you're honest with yourself in addition to all of these, it's it, it is incredible how it can shift your life from if I get that, I can enjoy my life. And a lot of a lot of times for people, if you're honest, if I can get to retirement, I can enjoy my life. The truth is if you can shift your perspective, you can enjoy your life right now.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Even in the shitty moments.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that too, because I think there was a moment earlier on in our conversation where I wanted to really emphasize that the idea of being a happy person doesn't mean that you don't have problems anymore. It's a yes. genuine like acceptance of life is going to be a roller coaster. There are going to be moments where I feel light and there are going to be moments where shit is really hard. And none of it is because of me. I'm not going to have problems now because I dared to have a good day. It's this is the nature of life and I, I remember the specific moment, I felt like I was high and I don't think I actually was, but I was like rolling around in my bed with my partner laughing because it finally hit me one day where I was like, oh, I'm always gonna have problems. Do people just know this stuff?
0: <laughs> that you're just like always
1: gonna have problems? And my partner was just like, I mean, yeah, cause he's a pretty even keel dude, like he's very calm. So it just like rocked me to suddenly be like, I don't have to take my life personally anymore. Holy shit. And then to kind of go back to the self-care thing, we I, I have an acronym, SHADES, that I mentioned, which is sleep, hydration, air, meaning go outside, diet, not dieting, just mindful awareness of your diet and what mm. helps you feel good and give you energy, all that, exercise, and stillness. And then stillness is things like, Meditation, practicing gratitude, journaling, therapy, even visualization, stuff like that. So if we're looking to integrate these things into our lives, we can do it proactively and reactively. Proactively being creating a schedule that makes sure that you're prioritizing all of those things because you are existing in a body and your body has needs. And this, I think, is more in the like woo-woo side, but I really I heard this quote once that said your body is completely loyal to you. And it, like, kind of hurt my heart a little bit because there are so many moments where I feel like I have just been, like, yelling at my body, and that includes my brain, to perform at a certain level when I was not giving it the tools or resources that it needed to do so. So this notion of this, like, sweet body just being like, I'm trying my best, dude, but you haven't given me water in a day, it, like, it kind of hit. So being able to understand that this has to be a priority and that you can look at it. From a very, you know, logical standpoint of just this this human entity you operate requires certain things like sleep, hydration, air, diet, exercise, and stillness. So if you prioritize those things, you are likely going to have more of the resources available to meet the challenges of your life. When it comes to actually implementing these routines, it's like people view things in this very binary all or nothing way. They try one week. Of time blocking or of scheduling or of self-care and oh I didn't really feel anything oh I forgot to do it on this day what's the point I did it for a month and then fell off okay try again that's it forever basically forever you will be you're never gonna get it perfectly right because you will never be able to be fully aware of all of the variables you may have a sick schedule where you get up every morning at 5 and you hit the gym and you meditate and you practice gratitude, and you have therapy, you've got a great diet, you've got great social circles, you've got all this stuff going on, and then one thing goes wrong, and suddenly you can't go to the gym anymore, or maybe you lost your job, or you have kids now, so your schedule is nuts. Anything can change, so the the program, the schedule has to change too. So if you have previously had a schedule that was really useful for you, you've had habits that helped you a lot, and you fell off, There is no need to blame or shame yourself. It's just, where did I fall off? When did I stop doing it? What were the conditions of that? What were the circumstances? And how do I take that information and apply it moving forward? And then a week later when it happens again, okay, what happened this week? I was doing really great staying off social media, and then I spent a fucking day on Twitter. What happened? Oh, it turns out it happened because I was feeling sad. Okay, what do I want to do next time? How am I going to keep that in mind for the week ahead? So it's that, you know, awareness, we're never going to get it perfect. And that's completely and totally okay, is acceptable, is normal. Just keep trying.
0: And that is so applicable to sobriety, addiction, changing these massive habits. I want to make this change because I know it's not good to me. Well, I'm not feeling good. If I'm not feeling good, why not do that thing? Well, because Mm. that thing made you feel worse. If you're being honest, it's just in the moment, you're not feeling good. So, Mm -hmm. right. And I actually, I had, I went through this in back in like July, June, July, I'm looking at myself and I'm like, why do I feel like I'm my nervous system is constantly activated? Why do I feel like I'm on edge? I feel like I'm going backwards. I'm not moving forward in my life and I'm, I'm stuck at all of these levels. What is going on? And I did two things. I looked at what was I doing when I was feeling my best? Mm. And I realized I was working out and doing Kung Fu and I had fallen off of that, right? And doing all this stuff. My diet, I was cooking more often. I was, you know, and it wasn't like I wasn't on a diet. Like you said, it's like that, it's that uh, mindful eating. Uh, what yeah. What is that? Mindful nutrition. I think that's the... Mm-hmm. And when I heard that, I was like, oh, I kind of started doing that and I felt better. So now there's a name for it. Cool. And I was like, okay, what can I do to bring those back and start doing those again? Rather than being like, why did I stop doing those? I know why I did. And the second thing that I did that I do every week now is I do what I call an energy audit. Mm. And my friend, Erin Brown, she says, um, you know, you got to audit your orbit because A lot of people are aware you are the sum of the five closest people to you. So audit your orbit. Are these five people, the best five people for you? Or is there one, two, three people, maybe it's all five holding you down. So do you need to make a change there? And we're talking about relationships. And it's like, I took that to my energy. Like I need to audit my energy weekly. Where am I putting my energy? Am I putting it into my business? Am I putting it into things that are helping me to move forward? Or am I focusing on the past? Am I focusing on things that are just keeping me stuck? And am I getting comfortable with the chaos again, instead Mm -hmm. of embracing the discomfort for me, that is the calm and embracing the discomfort that is growth Mm. and That has been so, it's made, like, since August, my life has really moved forward. My business has moved forward. Everything, and people have mentioned, like, there was a shift in you, in your videos. You could just feel it, in your energy, all of this. I don't know what it is, and I'm like, I think I just embraced my authenticity even more and leaned into it harder. And so those two things, you can, if you can... Look at and be like, "Okay, what can I do moving forward is really it's important for making these changes too Mhm um, yeah. and there's just there's so much to talk about, and you know we've we've gone for an hour and a half and i you know i I would love to continue this conversation um I think this is a great place to start to wrap up, but One thing that I wanted to ask you before we get there is, what is a good starting point for people with meditation?
1: Hmm. That's a cool question. There are so many different types of meditation that it's really going to vary based on your own needs and your own experience. Like, I find uh, just a simple focus on the breath to be a beautiful form of meditation for certain folks with trauma or you know any kind of issues around the breath, that might not be a good anchor. So for some folks who find themselves to be really fidgety and unable to sit down, walking meditation or standing meditation can be really great. I think guided meditation as a whole is a really useful starting point. I love the app Calm or Insight Timer or Headspace. You can look up guided meditations on YouTube or even Spotify, like they're everywhere. Try, try, try. You will find some people's voices don't really work for you. Some people's practices might not work for you. But if you are going into meditation expecting anything beyond awareness, you're probably going to set yourself up for some frustration. Because initially, for a lot of people, when they start meditating, they're like, whoa, I feel a lot calmer. This is great. And then shit gets real. As like I I describe minds as sort of like a hoarder's mind initially, we have so much shit we have collected in our minds from the start of every day when we go on our phones, like all of this intake is coming in from our lives that we haven't addressed. We have all of these different things kind of contained within our minds. And as soon as you sit still, your brain starts to kind of show you these piles of shit. Like, what do you want to do with this? And people tend to think that that is a sign that something is wrong with them. Like, oh, I can't meditate, my mind races the whole time. You just gained some awareness now, you know, your mind races. As a further kind of question, you can say, like, what are the top ten tunes? What are some of the themes of the mind racing? It's just learning how to see the value in awareness is really huge because you are not going to feel calmer after every single meditation. You're likely to feel a little more centered, a little more grounded, But if you're feeling really sad at work or something and you go take a five-minute meditation and in that sitting or that walking, you see the reality of where that sadness is coming from, you may come out of that meditation feeling sad. That's okay. Now you're at least able to be with it. It's no longer being pushed away. It's no longer being like kind of stomped or trampled on by a thousand different context switches from TikTok or Instagram or whatever. Now you can see it, you can feel it, you can experience it and let it pass in its own time. So to get started with meditation, pick any, any type of meditation and try it. And if it doesn't feel resonant to you, try a different one. If that one doesn't feel resonant to you, try a different one. Maybe meditation as a word is still like a little weird to you. So try mindful movement like Tai Chi or Qigong or yoga or something something that's gentle and invites you back into your body. I heard this uh, Tara Brock, who's one of the teachers of the training course that I'm going through right now, talked about how a lot of us find ourselves disconnected from our bodies and it's it kind of becomes this wilderness for us that we get a little afraid to investigate it because it's unknown. It could go any different way. So you can kind of frame it as this is an adventure an adventure into the wilderness. It might be wild as shit in there. I'm ready to see what it shows me. Because I think a lot of us feel brave when it comes to external adventures. There's lots of things we'd like to try. There's nothing wilder than your own human experiences in your bodies and minds. There is genuinely not going to be anything more interesting or intense, I think, than what you will find within the contents of your mind and within the physical felt senses of your body. So trust yourself to go wander in the wilderness and come back. Find something that grounds you. It can be a memory of someone you really care about. It can be the feeling of your body in the chair. It can be the feeling of your breath. Let yourself go exploring this beautiful wilderness you exist within. There's so much more to you, and if you don't take the time to sit and observe, you're missing out on such a rich experience of your existence. So any form of meditation Give it a shot. See how it works for you. It, it offers such a beautiful invitation to self-understanding. And I think underneath that is the, the most beautiful aspect, which is that self-compassion. When you really see the way that your brain and body operates, when you see the forces driving your thought patterns and behavior patterns, you can develop a deep, deep self-compassion where you're like, oof, dang, you've really been going through it. And then that gets to spread outward. You meet someone else who comes at you with some shitty energy and you think, "Ooh, I know what it felt like when I was suffering. God, it must really hurt being you right now. I'm not going to take it personally anymore. I'm going to see you and hold you with as much love as I can muster. So it's it's a really beautiful invitation to explore.
0: That was so well said. And there is that, the question that has like supercharged my self-discovery journey and all of this is what if I'm wrong? Right. Mm. When we become adults, I think a lot of us get to, I need to be right a lot. Like, especially when it comes to your beliefs, your values, who you are, I need to be right. When you ask yourself, what if I'm wrong? Like allow yourself to try something new. What if I'm wrong that that's stupid and dumb and I'll look dumb doing it. I'm not going to enjoy it. Well, If you're right and you tried all that and you didn't like it and everything, the worst thing is you go back to doing it the way you were. Mm -hmm. So what if you're wrong can become that gateway to trying and finding your new favorite food, trying and finding, you know, this meditation that everybody talks about. Oh, shit, that I can see the benefits. I can I can do this. I can see how I could put this into my life. Oh, journaling oh shit, that is something that it kind of is cool. Um, you know, there's just, it's such a powerful set of words if you, you want to use it. And I've, we've covered a lot of really amazing topics on this episode. Um, and I just, I love the way that you look at the world. So if people want to follow you, Jessica, how can they keep up with you?
1: The majority of my socials are under Mind of Snaps. So you can find me on Twitter, Instagram. Um, I've got a sub stack. Actually, I started writing recently, and that's under Jessica Bencomo. But if you go to my Twitter, I have a link tree finally, so you can find all of my links on there. Um, my live streams are under She Snaps. And I think even though I don't live stream full time anymore, I still think that's a great place to come and get to know each other because you can ask questions in real time. And the majority of streams we have, We talk a lot about mental health and mindfulness, and it became sort of like an unintentional advice place where people could come and just ask any kind of questions they have. And uh, I'm getting into the second year of my meditation teacher training, Uh, so early next year I'll be able to announce my first uh, meditation workshop. So if you're following any or all of the socials, you'll be able to see some of the information on that, and the first one will be like an intro to mindfulness, so for anyone who does want to understand more about mindfulness meditation, which is also known as Vipassana or insight meditation. And I find that to be really beautiful. that That's what we're seeking is just insight. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I'll be teaching more of in the future. And then my second classes that I intend to offer for the practicum will be probably done live. And I want to do a day long meditation workshop on grief. So that's where a lot of it is going. But yeah, you can find me on any of those socials and uh, hit me up, ask me questions, send me things you're interested in. I love, I love people. I love talking to them.
0: (laughs) It is. It's so rewarding. Just listening, Mm -hmm. listening and not, not looking to share your opinion, but just listening to learn and be like, I wonder what they think about this and then be able to ask that and, you know, it's funny. That's a conversation. It doesn't have to deal with <laughs> Very trying satisfying. to be right. Yeah, yeah. I
1: I'm reading this book right now called Clear Thinking by Shane Parrish, and it's really great. And it it came to mind again as you were talking about these different prompts. I I like to tell people often that the you can kind of talk to your brain the way you would like. I think most people nowadays have some familiarity with AI where you can go to something like chat or Bard and ask it a question and have it respond. Our brains are basically that it's not, it's not your enemy. It's this hilarious, squishy ball of information. And if you're asking it questions like, why do I fucking suck? It's going to answer. But if you ask it a question, like, how do I change this behavior? The first response might be, you can't you suck. But if you ask it again, like, listen, brain, I I get it. Yeah. 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 Conditioning. But, Let's focus on answering this problem. Let's focus on answering this prompt. You can start to ask yourself prompts or invite yourself to answer questions through a variety, a multitude of prompts throughout the day. And if we're looking to broaden our perspectives, the questions, what am I missing? And then what else am I missing are really great in communication with others. You express what you think they just said and then say, what am I missing? And then after they say, oh, you were missing this, oh, okay, what else am I missing? It allows you to go through life with a a kind of more humble perspective of, like, I know I'm not going to get it all right, and I'm okay with you telling me when I'm wrong. So you going around asking that question about something you have a strong, a firm belief in, "What what might I be missing here, gives you a chance to open up and see some of the stuff that your biases might be preventing you from seeing. So I think those are two really fun, you know, connected prompts to utilize
0: mm, those are really great that's <laughs> that's really uh, so I'm reading nonviolent communication finally um <laughs> yeah after a lot of people telling me you should read that because a lot of what you use already to talk about is in there and it'll enhance and it's like yep yep it's been absolutely wonderful and how Not just how you communicate with other people, but how you communicate with yourself. And um, that's something that has been just being able to take things that are relationship-focused and, okay, can I use this for myself with my relationship with myself? And yes, you can. Anything that anybody talks about relationship-wise with other people you can actually take and use for yourself and really cultivate how that is. And now all of a sudden, Oh, I actually, I actually kind of think I'm an okay person. When (laughs) did that happen? Uh (laughs) And it's a, it's a hell of a place to be. So uh, Jessica, thank you so much for coming on. This has been a pleasure. Um, And please go follow, go follow her, you know, all those places. And this is a, I can't, I can't thank you enough for this. This is really great. So, um, everybody, it's be better tomorrow than we were today cuz at least we don't make it we tried. Mm-hmm. I love you. Have a great week.